Hi, I'm Matt Bird. I'm James Kennedy. And this is the Secrets of Story podcast. Welcome back. It is time for a new episode of the podcast. It has been a while. Our whole brief shimmering dream of recording more episodes quickly faded. I will go ahead and remind everybody who I am. My name is Matt Bird. I am the author of The Secrets of Story, Innovative Tools for Perfecting Your Fiction and Captivating Readers. James, you are the author of Order of Oddfish, and you've got more stuff to announce. You just keep not announcing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still not going to announce it, but it's a big deal. Um, it's a big I'm, deal, man. I'm not, you, I'm, not, I'm not going to announce it yet because it's not been officially announced. Okay. We're trying to make it through this pandemic. We're doing everything we can. Things are getting worse. The political situation has gotten better. We're doing what we can. Let's go ahead and talk about tonight's thing. Tonight, we're going to go ahead and talk about a big topic that I've talked about on my blog over the course of the last 11 years. Listen up. This is the crown jewel of Matt's analysis. That What we're about to talk about today is the thing, is I think Matt's biggest breakthrough and one of the most interesting things in his analysis of stories. And don't take it from me. I was out at, back when you could go out into public, I was at uh, Improv Olympic uh, with my friend uh, Karen and we were to, to see a show. And we started talking to this woman behind us and we were talking about just a comedy in general. And she said something about head, heart, gut. And I was like, what? And she was just some random improviser in her 20s. I said, I learned that from, you know, Matt Bird's blog. She said, oh, yeah, so did I. <laughs> Cockeyed caravan. Like, she wasn't <laughs> just handing me. She knew exactly the blog. She was able to talk about your stuff in a very interesting way. Like, oh, my gosh, this person is like a, who? It's, it's always exciting when you meet somebody else who is into the thing that you thought that, like, only you knew about, you know? Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about this. I originally sort of stumbled upon the concept of head, heart, and gut when somebody was talking about Star Trek. And they're saying like, oh, well, the original Star Trek show was so dumb because the characters were so extreme. Not like the later Star Trek shows where all the characters were so even keeled and three-dimensional. On the original show, the characters were not three-dimensional. They were one-dimensional. And I was like, yeah, but it's a better show. It's the original series is the best of the shows, even though the characters are not necessarily three-dimensional. Then I started looking at every other show and I realized like, oh, you can write about three-dimensional characters, and you can write about a whole ensemble of three-dimensional characters, or you can write about an ensemble of one-dimensional characters that represent the polarized extremes of a single person. And then I realized Star Trek, at its best, is not a realistic show about exploring outer space. Star Trek is a symbolic show about exploring inner space. In my favorite episode of the show, A Taste of Armageddon, they go to a planet where they've decided we've had this war that's been going on for a long time and it's destroying our civilization too much. And so we're going to have computers fight the war now. And if a computer tells us we would have died in the attack, then we'll march ourselves into an incinerator and die. And this is not about what would happen if you're exploring outer space. This is about exploring inner space. This is about exploring an idea, exploring a concept, exploring an aspect of human nature. And the explorers who are doing it are not these three-dimensional characters grappling with this, that you have head, heart, and gut. Spock is all head. He cannot feel, he cannot react from his gut. All he can do is think. And you have this character who represents the part in all of us that is the head, that is the superego. Then you have Kirk, who is this character who acts from the gut, even if he's told he shouldn't do something, even if he's told it's not a good idea by Spock, he's going to go ahead and do what his gut tells him to do. And then you have Bones, who is very much a heart character. Often heart characters are Southern, often they're doctors. He is going to react from the heart. And 
then I realized, oh my God, this is true of everything. It's not true of everything. There are some shows with three-dimensional ensembles. And then I realized, okay, and then there's various permutations of it. In some cases, you just have classical head heart gut. So head characters are characters who say, I think a lot, they're smart, they're analytical, they're talkers, they're scientists, they're professors, they're unemotional, they're critical, they're too focused on the odds, they're often the father character, there's sometimes stick in the mud characters, they're characters who say this is a bad idea. Okay, so the, the, so the head character, say in Harry Potter, is Hermione, right? Yes, The head character so. in uh, Star Wars is Princess Leia. Then you have the heart characters, these characters who say, I feel a lot, they're caring, they're sensitive, they're listeners, they're often doctors, they're worried about human consequences, they're the conscience, they're often the mother character, they're merciful, they're sometimes Southerners, like Dr. McCoy is a Southerner, Kenneth on 30 Rock is a Southerner, Woody on Cheers is a Southerner, they, well, he's actually from Indiana, but he's got a Southern accent, they ask questions like, who will get hurt? And then you have gut characters, which sometimes is divided up, but first we'll talk about a classic gut character who says, I want... They're craving, hungry, horny, boaster, coward, self-interested, a child. They're like Freud's id. They're honest. They're impulsive. They often say, wouldn't it be fun? These are the basic things. Like the good place. Chidi is a classic head character. He's all head. He can he overthinks everything. I think a head yeah. character is always asking, are we doing this by the rules? So yes, Leia's always much. saying that and Hermione's always saying that. I think that's the essence of a head character. So in the first season, Michael on The Good Place is very much a heart character. He's very open-hearted. He seems like it until we get to the big twist at the end. He is a character who is always trying to be more feeling, uh, more understanding, who is always trying to understand everybody. And Eleanor is a classic gut character. She is someone who speaks from the gut, acts from the gut, does not think things through, does not feel, has a hard time feeling for other people, has a hard time thinking things through, has a hard time getting into her head, is a character who is just entirely from the gut. So this is classic head-hard-gut polarization. Then I started looking into things. I'm like going, okay, well, what about four-person ensembles? All right, so in Ghostbusters, Egon, very much a head character, someone who is always often the head character is the character with glasses, the character who is thinking things through. Often this the is a Harold Ramis character. The Harold Ramis character, often the head character is a Jewish character. This is someone who is the person who is the head scientist, the head thinker. Then Ray is very much heart. He is very much someone who feels, someone who is open-hearted, someone this who is- the Dan is Aykroyd character, right? The Dan Aykroyd character, is, he is very well, sensitive character. Then Venkman- Played by Bill Murray is very much the gut character. He is someone who is acting from the gut, who is someone who is who is very much sort of jerky, sort of obsessed with his taking things in. He is pursuing sex. He is very much an I want character. But then an interesting thing happens with Ghostbusters is that a fourth member joins the team. And this is so let's get to our first variation on Head Heart Gut. And that is when a fourth member joins a Head Heart Gut ensemble, they can slide in there in various ways. And it's interesting with Winston, one doesn't think of Winston as being similar to, say, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but they each do it the same job as the fourth member of their ensemble. This They're is the Ernie spirit. Hudson character, correct? Yes, the Ernie Hudson character. They're both spirit characters. Ernie Hudson is the person saying, like, we need to think about religion. We need to think about what this all means in terms of heaven and hell and the Bible and old school religion. He then, so you have- In one hard scene, gut. to be sure, right? I mean- yeah. He's not always talking about this. When he first comes in, he says, I'm just looking for a job. And then it's just an offhanded conversation in which he Well, he's not in a lot of scenes. Right. He's only right. in a few scenes. But so then if you're picturing the script as a person, you know, then you can picture Venkman, Bill Murray in the gut, Ray, Dan Aykroyd in the heart, Egon, Harold Ramis in the head, and then hovering above that, Winston, 
who is the person who is concerned with the spiritual aspect of it. I mean, so as I already said, in Star Wars, you have that same sort of four-way polarization. Leia is very much the head character. She is the strategist. She is the person who, the only person who ever understands the full plan. Luke is very much a hard character. He's an open-hearted character. He's, <laughs> what's what's his favorite line in the movie? I care. And <laughs> he is very much an I care character. Han is, of course, a classic gut character, someone who's only in it for himself, someone who is interested in sex, interested in having money. things, interested in money. And then Obi-Wan is very much, in that case, the spirit character. He is someone who is above head, above heart, above gut. He is very much spirit character. Also, you can see head, heart, gut, spirit in The Three Musketeers. Athos is very much a head character. D'Artagnan is very much a heart character. Porthos is very much a gut character. But Aramis is the spare character. He is the one who's concerned with religion. That is one way of doing four-way polarization. When you say head, uh, I see, it seems to mean two different things. Um, and I, I want to get some kind of clarification on it. Because sometimes, to me, it seems like a head is, the head is the superego. They're the rules enforcer. Like Hermione is a rules enforcer. Leia is a rules enforcer. Egon is a, is, is a rules enforcer. Even Spock is a rules enforcer. And now this can overlap with, but it's different from just being the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Which is another way of thinking of head. You can imagine a gut who is a genius, kind of like an Amadeus. Or you yeah. can imagine somebody with, with a lot of heart who is very smart too. And so I think sometimes when people say head, and or it's easy to get confused, what is the function of the head? Does it just well, mean they're the smartest person in the room? Because Hermione is both the rules enforcer and the smartest person in the room. However, I think those are separable. The gut can be the smartest person in the room, and the head can just be the rules enforcer. So what well, is the but head? I mean, but even if you look at Star Wars, C-3PO is also a head character. C-3PO uh -huh. has all the negative aspects of head, and Leia has all the positive aspects of head. Like someone who is always citing the odds, like the ultimate character is always citing the odds, is C-3PO. Mm -hmm. And so he is a negative head character. Let's look at, like, on Cheers, you have Diane is the main head character in the earlier seasons, and then Frasier in the later seasons. But you also have Cliff, who is a negative head character. You have Cliff, who's someone who's going, you know, the well-actually character. Positive and negative aspects of all three of these. But you that, think that the person who's the smartest in the room is naturally the rules enforcer, and so one is a negative aspect of the other? Yeah, I would say so. Well, let's go ahead and stay with Cheers. So then Cheers, certainly when the show starts off, you have Diane is very much the head character, Coach is very much the heart character. Then later, he'll die and be replaced by Woody, who will then become the new heart character. Norm is very much a gut character. He is someone who actually has a big gut. Often gut characters are fat. Certainly you see that in The Three Musketeers as well. Porthos is the fat one. And he is someone who is obsessed with consuming things. But so then you actually have five-way, five-part polarization in Cheers, because then you have a spleen character, who is Carla who sometimes, gut, sometimes a gut character can be both the gut and the spleen and the groin, but sometimes they're divided up. And so in Cheers, they're very much divided up. You have Norm, who is a very much gut character in that he is very much about the stomach. Then you have Carla, who is a spleen character, who is someone who is throwing out negativity into the world. And then you have Sam, who is a groin character, the person who is pursuing sex. But then again, this is a case where you've got, when you divide up other shows, you find characters unexpectedly ending up in that category. Let's look at The Simpsons. The Simpsons, Lisa is a very classical head character. She is someone who is overthinks things, is, is very much in her head, is the person who has all the facts, has all the knowledge. Marge is a very classical heart character. She is the character who feels 
And Homer is a very classical gut character. So sometimes in family stories, you would expect the father to be the head, the mother to be the heart, and uh, the children to be gut. But in this case, the little girl is the head, the mother is the heart, and the father is very much the gut. Homer is fat. He is obsessed with consuming things. But then you've got Bart, who is groin. Bart is, you know, and so another way of saying groin, of course, is cocky. And if we want to stick with things related to the human body. And so Bart is the cocky character. Bart is not gut in the sense that he is not obsessed with consuming things. He's not fat. He is not someone who is, you know, relentlessly pursuing things. And obviously he's not a growing character in that he's not obsessed with sex, which, you know, would be horrible for a 10-year-old boy character, but he is a cocky character. So, all right. So that's, so that's a couple of different ways of doing four-way polarization. Or you know, it's, five it's interesting that you should bring up, when you're talking about Woody, the, he's like a heart character, you know, and uh, replacing uh, uh, the coach. But it, it seems to me when you have somebody who's like, say, a heart character or, or a gut character or a head character, not only do you have to make them very heartful, but you also have to make them be actively anti the things they aren't. So like Woody not only has to be a, have a big heart, but he also has to be actively stupid, you, yes. you know, and so anti head. And he has to be self-sacrificing kind of anti-gut in a way that like well she and coach put other people ahead of their of their selves it's not enough just to make say a heart character positively heart they also have to be negatively head and negatively gut in which See, I disagree active, with that. well okay well, uh, let me put it this way it's an effective move and we've seen that's the case with woody and cheers and and probably in many a lot of other things it can work. It depends on how polarized you want to be. We, we can talk more about that, about extreme polarization versus partial polarization. But Cheers is maybe the funniest show that's ever written, and it is a show that engages in extreme polarization. And it can get whole episodes just out of trying to force Woody to talk about sex. Or, well, the episode where Coach turns out to be really good at geography. Ah, and, and that uh, brings up the next, the next point that I want to make, is that once you do that extreme polarization not merely make Woody, let's say not merely make Coach a heart, but making him a heart that's not that bright, then Mm -hmm. when he does something that's smart, it's very satisfying. And so you Albania, Albania, it's kind of like a border on the Adriatic. Yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's like an alternating current. And like you, you kind of like it has to go up and down like a sine wave, and you kind of by touching one that kind of sends you down, and you have to touch the other one. You you can touch smart, not smart, smart, not smart, and you get that energy out of it. Um, whereas if if you were just dumb all the time, it wouldn't be uh, funny. But like it was kind of like I remember one time Sam said something clever, and then Fraser said like out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> yes. and, and, then, and Sam said, oh, thank you. <laughs> he thought he was referred to as a babe. But if you aggressively uh, identify somebody who is like a gut character, say, as stupid, then when they do something smart, it's much more satisfying. And so, yes, uh, you can get a whole I, episode I, I, out of it. Yeah, so that, that's why I, I do think that point is correct. Um, yeah, and that I, think it, I think that is something that can work very well. What you're saying can work very well. I don't think it's, it's, I don't want to tell writers your heart character has to actively reject head and gut because often they don't. No, no, because what they do by doing that, then that sets up a dynamic such that when they do embrace the the heart or gut, you know, or whatever their opposites are, it makes that much more sense. You do an extreme polarization at the beginning in which you're not only 
like positively your characteristic, but also like actively negative the other characteristics such that you can make that journey and it makes that much more. If, 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 if Woody was just a heartful guy, but he was also of normal intelligence, it wouldn't be as interesting as a heartful guy who is as dumb as a brick. Yeah. And then when he's no, smart later, I'm, it means something. Yeah. So another way to do four part polarization is sometimes the, sometimes you have a main character who is three dimensional but then they are supported by three characters who are head, heart, and gut. So, of course, the classic example of this is the Wizard of Oz. You've got Dorothy, who has elements of head, heart, and gut, but then she is supported by the Scarecrow, who, even though he thinks he has no brain, is in fact the head character. The Tin Woodsman, even though he well, thinks why, he has and no Why heart, is the Scarecrow the head character? He comes up with all the plans. He is the person right. who figures things out. He's the person who is, you know, it's funny. This is the tricky thing about the Wizard of Oz is that the Scarecrow thinks he has no brain, but is clearly the smartest character. Many times he is the person who figures things out. And he's like, well, I don't have any brains, but I tell you what I would do in this situation. And mm -hmm. it turns out to be the right thing to do. The Tin Woodsman is obviously the heart character. He cries. He is sympathetic. He is someone who very much wears his heart on his sleeve, very much feels things. The lion, though is he is in some ways a gut character he is some way he is a base character but he, but the scarecrow the scarecrow is smart the tin woodsman does feel but the lion is genuinely cowardly like the lion is the only person who has correctly diagnosed his own problem like, like yes lion you are correct in that you are cowardly but he is very much a gut character he is very much a character who is growling and attacking and craving and doing everything that we associate with the id and with the child and with the gut character. And so you've got the main character with the three sort of supported by three people. I noticed this with, this was another one of the first things I noticed with the show House, that House you had, House is the doctor. He was a three-dimensional character. He was supported by three interns. Foreman was a head character. Cameron was a heart character. Chase was a gut character. And there was one episode of the show early on where House was on an international flight and they were flying over the ocean and suddenly people started getting sick and he had to diagnose it. But he was just on the flight with Cuddy. He didn't have his interns with him. And he was trying to diagnose it and he realized, I can't diagnose this unless I have three people to bounce these ideas off of. He needed one to be self-interested, another to be skeptical, and a third to be compassionate. And so, so then he actually needed his separate head, heart, and gut to discuss things with. And this is why shows do this, is that you've got this character and they want to be able to have essentially a conversation with their own heart, a conversation with their own head, a conversation with their own gut. If you look at, essentially, the show Girls was a remake of the show The Sex and the City, and they both have the main character is a three-dimensional character who is an essayist living in Manhattan. And then you have her- Oh, an essayist. They must be a millionaire. Like, <laughs> yeah. The way you can make a, a living be an essayist? You know, an essayist? <laughs> yes, both of those shows were about essayists living in Manhattan. Well, I guess one is one is in Manhattan, the other one is in Brooklyn. But so then, you know, in the original show, you have Carrie, who's three-dimensional. And then, you know, you've got Miranda is very much a head character. Charlotte is a hard character. Samantha is a gut character. On Girls- Hannah, the main character, is three-dimensional. And then you've got Marnie, who's a head character. Shachana, who's a heart character. Jessa, who is a gut character. And this person is seeing in these other characters extremes of how they could go. 
So, you know, so Carrie's like, oh, should I give more thought to relationships? Well, maybe I could overthink my relationships like Miranda does. So maybe I shouldn't do that. Oh, should I be more open hearted? Well, maybe I'll come off as sort of a simpering character like Charlotte. So maybe I shouldn't do that. Oh, should I follow my gut and pursue my id? Well, Samantha does that. And Samantha is Samantha gets herself in huge trouble on that show. So maybe I shouldn't do that. And so these characters become representations of different fates the hero could have, different avenues the hero could pursue. So one thing I realized is that you can have... So let's talk about the movie Deliverance. Well, the novel... So James Dickey wrote the novel Deliverance, and then he also wrote the screenplay for the movie Deliverance. And he based the four characters in Deliverance on four real people he knew that he had really taken a trip with, but they had... Well, okay, I'll go and tell the story of the real trip. So, well, James Dickey was based in Atlanta with these three other businessmen he knew, and then they all took a trip to go up whitewater rafting in northern Georgia, and they got lost, and they realized they were lost in the backwoods, and then they were surrounded by these backwoodsmen, and they had to go ahead and ask them, like, how do we get back to the river? And then the backwoodsmen were like, I tell you what, first we're going to make you a dinner that can't be beat, and they go ahead and make them a big dinner, and they treat them wonderfully, and then they go, let's take you back to your car, and then they took them back to the car. So then the men are all driving home, and they're like, what if those hillbillies hadn't been nice to us? And then James Dickey said, there's a book there. So then he wrote this book about the hillbillies being horrific rapists and murderers. And then now every time anybody goes canoeing in North Georgia, I say as someone who's been canoeing in North Georgia a lot, everybody can do nothing but talk about deliverance and about how all these hillbillies are going to rape and murder us. And in fact, the real hillbillies couldn't have been nicer. Yeah, so uh, no no, uh, no good deed goes unpunished is what we should take from that. This is the ultimate example of no good deed goes unpunished. But so then he wrote this book in which there were these extreme characters who were based on fairly extreme characters he really knew. And the character, the Burt Reynolds character, I knew him. I, I got to know him in... And I actually got to go canoeing on the river in the canoe he had actually used in the original canoe trip. And he really was like the Burt Reynolds character. And he really was this very manly man who was like that. But at the same time, you have this interesting quote from Ronnie Cox when they were making Deliverance. And he said, I mean, we used to joke about it because the four characters are all these four aspects of Jim Dickey. There's a lot about him as that sort of outdoors macho man challenging everybody and everything's a competition in Burt's character. And then there's the thoughtful, almost timid advertising man, the everyman that was John Voight's character at the beginning of the film. And then there's the buffoonish, klutzy Bobby. But then Jim Dickey was also a poet and a guitar player who loved to play music. And all of his artistic aspects were in Drew. So James Dickey wrote this story based on four friends of his, but he also was basing all four of them on things inside him. And I realized, okay, well, that is how authors can really use head, heart, gut when they write, is they can write about, in this case, these characters were fairly three-dimensional, but he was giving each one, he was polarizing his own personality into each of these four people, even though they were also actual based on real people. So head, heart, gut is not just a matter of, oh, I'm going to create a buffoonish, woody character or extreme Carla character. It can also be, I'm going to create real characters, real believable, sensitively observed characters, but I'm going to project my own, the writer's own id ego, superego onto these characters and have one character be sort of my own timid self, my own manly self, my own klutzy self, my own artistic self. Mm. And 
I think that that is a way, I think that watching that film, reading that novel, if you can take it as <laughs> an example of how to use head, heart, and gut to even in service of relatively three-dimensional characters. Now, there's a way to complicate head, heart, and gut. So we're like, like we, we've seen like the, um, the, the, the obvious things like, okay, Luke is a heart, Leia is a head, Han is a gut, you know, or, or all these things. But like, what about, like, you, you have this idea of partial polarization, which makes it a little bit more uh, complex. You want to talk about that? Well, I hopped on the Avatar train long before most of America hopped on the Avatar train. You're talking about James Cameron's masterpiece? No, I'm talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, the actual ah, Avatar. Yes. Then I was like, well, wait a second. Is this, are these, is this a polarized ensemble? And I'm like going, well, they're not three-dimensional because definitely Sokka does not have heart. And definitely Katara does not have gut. And Aang doesn't really have head. And I'm like going, but they, but it is, so they're not three-dimensional, but they're not one-dimensional, they're two-dimensional. So Sokka is very much both a gut and head character. He is the planner of the team, he is the strategist of the team, So he and he is someone who is talking about how things aren't going to work. He is a head character in that sense, but he's very much a gut character. He is obsessed with eating. He is obsessed with bodily functions. He is very much a gut character in that sense. Aang is a gut character as well. He is someone who also is following his gut, wants to do, is an I want character, is a child character, but he's also very much a heart character. He is in love with Katara. He is someone who is open-hearted and sensitive, and he is not really much of a thinker. He is not a planner in those opening episodes. Katara is very much a thinker character. She is the character saying, we shouldn't do this. We should follow the rules. She is also very much a heart character. She is someone who, I wouldn't say very sensitive, but she is someone who feels quite a bit. And I'm going, but she has no gut. She cannot follow her gut. She has no gut. And I'm like going, okay, so this is partial polarization. Then, so I, you can see if you go to, I'll go ahead and link to all the various pieces I did about this over the years. And I, for some of these shows, I've got this, icon of a person with head hurt and got divided up on the person. And then I created this even more complex icon for showing what partial polarization is like. And I realized one thing that happens with partial and this, I mean, so the question is, can characters change over the course of a TV show over the course of time, or even over the course of a movie or novel, can they gradually become more three-dimensional? And that sometimes happens and it sometimes very much does not. But I would say on Avatar, it does happen. I would say that certainly Sokka discovers his heart over the course of the show, Aang discovers his head, and Katara discovers her gut. And they get whole episodes out of that. Katara trying to feel her gut more. Katara trying to be more... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Sokka falling in love with the woman who turns into the moon. Or uh, 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 Aang is uh, constantly trying to learn new methods. He has to do a lot of head work of like, okay, now I got to figure out how I got to find out somebody to teach me earth bending. I got to find somebody to teach me water bending. And, and he doesn't like to study. He is so, like you know, yeah. So he, it, that's a great thing about partial polarization is that not only does it make a richer character, which somebody doesn't have to be heart all the time. It could be like say heart head or heart gut, but it also gives them a natural vector for their character because the, the, what they're, the, the vector, the journey for their character is going to be the part of the polarization that they're not. Yeah, this can be part of a saga. Part of a saga is as you, you pull a character, you force a character to adopt the aspects that they have trouble with. And... But this doesn't even have to be like over a saga. I mean, usually, like, I mean, 
usually the plots of things, like say an episode of Star Trek, the original series, they usually revolve around something like Spock suddenly having an emotion, uh, you know, or Kirk is not all gut. He's a shrewd tactician. Like he knows how to see beyond his own immediate self-interest. And Bones, even though he's like very hard, he's constantly laying down rules and principles in a head-like way. And he's definitely in touch with his gut appetites. He's like, oh, how about this Romulan ale? You know, <laughs> uh, um, so like he, he's got that insinuating yeah. manner about him. So like even in your like, uh, like kind of canonical head, heart, gut of like, you know, Spock and Bones and Kirk, even that, like, it, from episode to episode, like, it makes sense when you think about it in the abstract, but when you go and bring your, yourself to the bare metal of, like, what is actually in the episodes, it's not that simple. Well, and this is they're, why they're I resisted. polarized. This is yeah. why I resisted before when you were saying, like, the character should actually reject. No, I mean, most characters are somewhat partially polarized. Like, most characters are, of those three, Spock is by far the most extreme. Spock is someone who has, like, a congenital <laughs> inability to follow his gut. Or but his he's half but... human. And so he all, the, the, the plot often revolves around him kind of having a slight emotion. Yes. The one, of course, probably the all-time best episode of that show was Sitting on the Edge of Forever. Well, I, I already said what my favorite was, but, you know, the most one of the most acclaimed episodes of that show was Sitting on the Edge of Forever, which was all about the one time Kirk really falls in love. And yeah. it is heartrending. It is, uh, it, and then, and then, of course, he has to listen to his head. Now that he has finally lost his heart to somebody, he then is told, no, you have to let her die so that history will go the right way. And suddenly he is a character who can't stand to, who insists on following his heart above all else, which is, that's where you cash in all the value of the show is when you're like, okay, let's take this character who we've built up for so long, who is not that, and then have an episode where they go that way, have an episode where they get pulled in that direction where they get tugged in that direction where they have to break with what they, has been so established yeah and so that's i think that's the reason why you want to polarize it so that you can break it because we love it in 30 rock when kenneth does something smart or when we see a little bit of jack dunnegy's heart and that only has value because we've so aggressively established it in a one-dimensional way earlier yep uh, like the only it's like, like the only way the character has energy is by going on a journey to touch the opposite of their polarization and then dragging them back. Having Jack Dunnegy say be have have a heart and then by the end end of the episode being a bastard again, like that's yes. the pleasure of it. So the, I I guess the the danger of talking about polarization is we're talking like it makes it sound like we have stable essences. Like Kirk is a gut guy, so therefore when he whenever he does anything or you write a line for him, make sure it's gut. And I want to kind of it, it kind of put this in a more dynamic sense of like there's a there, there's a there's a sine wave there's a home base for him but that home base of gut only makes sense if it's constantly touching in his own Kirk like ways the head and the heart. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So okay, here's now here's another another variation. So I'm just just like picking up my various ideas. I think I talked about this before. So you got the head, heart, and gut. We've all now I was thinking, what are the other things that I see? in ensembles that are not covered by this and i was thinking about the a-team you know okay <laughs> obviously so the gut is mr t right yes. and the the head is got the guys with all the plans that's uh hannibal and, and of yes. course the uh well i mean maybe and then uh well is is face the heart he doesn't really he's feel good. it no face he's, is okay great. he's great so, so there's no really no heart there you say oh is no, murdoch, murdoch heart? Is heart. yeah murdoch's so, heart. The thing is, Thing is, he's not. He's 
the crazy one. And yeah. that is a type. And that is a type that you just can't force into saying, oh, the crazy one is a type of heart, because it's not. Um, and similarly, in Stand By Me, uh, like you've got like River Phoenix's character and uh, Will Wheaton's character, everything. But Corey Feldman's character is the crazy one. And yeah. that is, uh, I mean, maybe we can't, it's the anti-brain, it's the pineal <laughs> gland. I don't, I don't know what it is, but that is a, a part of the polarization. That is a character type that we see show up again and again, the crazy one. Um, and it's not heart. It's not heart. Yeah, I guess it's not heart. I mean, yeah, you know, as with any sort of system, then you're like, okay, everything has to fit the system. Let's cram every, let's get out our mallet and cram everything into fit the system. And certainly with A-Team, he fits the least where you're like, okay, classic groin character in face, classic head character in Hannibal, classic gut character in Mr. T. Although but, Hannibal yeah. is not saying this won't work, this won't work. He says, I love when a plan comes together. You know, yeah, like, those are sort of two different aspects of the head. I mean, it's Leia versus C-3PO. It's, you know, you have C-3PO saying this won't work, this won't work. And then you have Leia going, I've got a plan. I love it when a plan comes together. But they're both head characters. But yeah, he is he is not at all uh, Hannibal. I We've never discussed ATM on the show. It's about damn time. Yeah. Hannibal is very much not a this is never going to work type character, just the opposite. Then I started to think about like, what, how does this work with villains? Like, and what, like, negative polarization for the villains. Like, what if you had an anti-gut, an anti-heart, and an anti-head? Like, a stoic would be, like, an anti-gut, you know? Like, somebody who is just, like, he's going to, like, he's going to deny himself in any way. I guess this would be the Terminator is an anti-gut, you know? And then the cold-blooded operator would be an anti-heart, which is different than a stoic. A cold-blooded, like, and then... There's a crazy person, maybe, is the anti-head. And maybe we saw this in Avatar a little bit. Like, maybe Azula is the anti-gut, the cold-blooded operator is May, and then the crazy one is Ty Lee. Yeah, very much so. All right, so now here's another point. In, like, the head-heart-gut distinction, what, what happens when the main character of that trio is a head? Because, like, Luke's a heart, Kirk's a gut, Harry's a heart, Venkman's a gut, like, and I was thinking, and I, we were texting about this a while ago. I'm kind of reading for our texts. Maybe one of the reasons that Lady Ghostbusters, the one with Kristen Wiig, didn't catch on so well is because the main character of the quartet, Kristen Wiig's character, was a total head. Like, don't yeah. do this. Don't do that. I don't want this adventure story to happen. And she's accompanied by two kind of sort of guts and no heart until Chris Hemsworth shows up. <laughs> and steals and the movie. Yeah, he's the dumb heart and he stole every scene he was in. Which makes so, you feel like the world's biggest misogynist to say that. Like you're like you're like, yeah, I saw Ghostbusters and I liked the man. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought I thought I thought I thought Black Panther was so great. Martin Freeman stole the show. Uh, oh, Martin Freeman, <laughs> clearly the real hero of that movie, yeah, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. The CIA was a real hero of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, of, yeah, that that was weird. I I have my own theories about Marvel movies and the CIA that maybe I don't need to go into, but like. Yeah, this Black Liberation Movement. And you know who the good guys are? The CIA. <laughs> what? We've, you've tried to discuss this in the past on episodes, and it's ended up getting cut. And I think it's going to get cut from this one, too, because it's got nothing to do with head hurt cut. We'll get to it eventually. Point being, uh, um, so, so but the, like, w- like, when does a head work? Because a, a head, by the very... Like, can a head... Well, so you character? pitched this to me, James. You yeah. said to me... 
like you said head characters can't be the the main hero characters and you said ghostbusters and i was like no you may be right then i'm like wait a second what about those movies that you yourself dearly love james kennedy what about the mission impossible movies and it's something that very rarely happens with you and me happened james where you instantly capitulated you were like you were like he's total head and he's totally the hero and he is and he is absolutely shows how wonderful it can be to have a head hero never mind yeah that's the thing but like so, yeah. Ethan is all head. Luther is all heart, and Benji is like head and gut. But like, I, I wonder how much of this is just like the the sheer charisma of Tom Cruise that carries that, you know? Because I feel that I, I mean, it also like he's also getting orders to do something, and so he doesn't have to have as much agency as a hero usually needs to have. I think an adventure that involves like somebody actively taking a journey that character can almost never be ahead because yeah. um, the, and I think mission impossible is different because he's a, he's a essentially a bureaucrat following orders. Um, well, except for he then goes rogue about five minutes into every movie. <laughs> right. Right. But like it, it, it's, it's a, it, it, I, I'm trying, uh, but I, I, what it does explain is what it does explain. My theory is why lady ghostbusters doesn't work. And why I can't think of anything other than Mission Impossible for which of this case, except for horror. Like in Silence of the Lambs, Clarice Starling is very much ahead. And in yeah. Alien, Ripley is very much ahead. And oh, maybe, yeah. So well, yeah, in Alien, she's the character who doesn't want any of this to happen. That's right. good in horror. <laughs> you know, right. like you should have a character who doesn't want any of this to happen in horror. Right. Because like both comedy and horror are like fundamentally conservative. Like they both involve dealing with like some eruption into the norm. Like it's an absurd eruption into the norm that makes us laugh in a comedy. It's a scary eruption into the norm that makes us scream. But in both cases, to be ahead is to be heroic because you're asserting besieged rules against an overwhelming force. But with an adventure, that means somebody's going actively out to forge the plot. And the worst thing in an adventure is for the hero to resist the plot, to stymie or derail the plot so the norms can be restored. Whereas in a horror or comedy, this is a heroic move, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, so th- that, that's why Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has to stay a comedy. Don't try to make it into an adventure. And that's why the movie failed. Uh, it tried oh, to make it into an adventure. And, but Arthur is a head surrounded by guts. And then when he like, I'm going to step up and I'm going to be a movie hero... It's just like, oh, this is not Hitchhikers anymore. I think as you said in our, in our discussion, uh, you said horror is about punishing transgression, the gut, or punishing naivete, the heart. So heads are the natural hero there. Yeah, that's an interesting point. That you made. <laughs> that's a good oh, compliment. Just paid yourself. Oh, no, I thought you were making the point. I thought, I, I thought sorry. I was reading the point that you made. So you, you, <laughs> you said um, on how I met your mother, the hero was ahead, right? Yes. And How I Met Your Mother, I think, is an example of why you don't want to have the hero be ahead. He is the stick in the mud. He is the character who does not want things to happen. He is a character who is always like, no, I don't want to go play laser tag with you. No, I don't want to go on this epic quest that you want to go on, Barney. No, I don't want to do this thing that, that Marshall wants to do. And it is deadly. He is the least likable character on that show. People always commented on that show when it was on. People were like, I like that show, but I don't like the hero. Stick in the mud characters are deadly, except for, as you pointed out, 
Arthur Dent, who is a literal stick in the mud. So how did that show, how was that show successful? It went like however many, I've never seen it, but it went however many seasons it went. Like how did How You Met Your Mother work? Because people loved the secondary characters because Neil Patrick Harris stole the show. This happens all the time on TV. You have the Fonz takes over the show, you know. Uh-huh. Um, the Fonz took over the show. Neil Patrick Harris took over the show. Now, um, you like we were talking about like how you talk about uh, community and how somebody can move from one part a thing to the other, like move out of like you're talking about like how the main rounded character started out as Jeff Winger, but then it moved to being Abed. Yeah, I think that when the show started, Winger was very much. A head character, a gut character, and a heart character. He was someone who was going on this honest emotional journey to try to become a better person while being this very much sarcastic character, which are often head characters, and this character who was doing everything in pursuit of sex. The whole reason he started the study group, so he's very much a gut character. Or a and he's character. surrounded by both polarized and partially polarized characters. Yes. Community of his case where the three-dimensional character gradually became two-dimensional because Winger actually became more heartless over the course of the show. So that by the time the show was over, he was no longer really on an emotionally open, honest journey. He was very much just a head gut character. And then Ovid became three-dimensional because first Ovid was very much just a sort of head gut character and someone who had no heart, you know, was very much a character like Spock or Data. And then by the time the show was over, Ovid could not have had more heart. Ovid was literally the heart of the show. So then Ovid really became, in many ways, the main character of the show. And Winger sort of receded. So that now you had this ensemble where you had three partially polarized characters, three fully polarized characters. Pierce was very much all cut. Freda was very much all head. Shirley was very much all heart. Oh, it's Tro- nice. Troy, <laughs> isn't that sweet? Uh, Troy was heart cut combination. Annie was heart head combination. And at first it was Abed that was head gut. And then it became Winger who was head gut. And Abed became fully three dimensional. It totally makes sense that I have, because I remember watching the first season of Community. And it grew on me as it went on, as all sitcoms do. Because uh, like if you watch just three episodes of a sitcom, you say, oh, I didn't like it. I mean, the whole point is that you get used to these characters. And then when they do things like, ah, oh, I knew he would do that, is like the, the pleasure of watching these things. But if you don't know what they're going to do, like it, the pleasure isn't there yet. But like I noticed that like at the beginning, I was like, why should I care about Jeff and Britta and whether or not they get together? It seemed like, I, like these two very attractive people with perfect skin, like why should I care about them? And, and then like I, the, the show, in a way, agreed with me and made the more interesting characters more central yeah and eventually had them get together off screen right they're like they're like oh by the way throughout this season they've secretly been going out and normally the way you do that is like they're secretly going out and don't tell the other characters in this case they didn't tell the audience they sort of let the audience know that like oh our whole will there what they for the whole show was resolved several episodes ago and we didn't even tell you yeah and like troy was supposed to be like oh he's a he's a dumb ex-jock there's an idea, but the way that he was played made it so interesting and it was, was so much more depth than the original idea that just from the strength of Donald Glover's performance, it became better. And I think he also kind of had a hand in writing his lines as well, according to Jan Harmon. Like Jan Harmon would be like, I don't know how to how to end this scene and Donald Glover would have a line, you know, yeah. that, that that would work. And so well, and then um, Donald Glover went on to create one of the great sitcoms of the following decade, so that's not surprising. Uh, you're you're speaking of uh, Atlanta. Yes. You would call that a sitcom? 
Well, I mean, it's half-hour TV, half-hour comedic TV series. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, it's, it's closer to Twin Peaks than a sitcom for me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, uh, Dan Harmon, by the time his podcast ended, still had not seen Atlanta. Like he just oh, could, no. He just cannot, could not bring himself to watch it. And I think it's because he's intimidated by Donald Glover. But that's right. another, another story. Uh, um, yeah, so anyway, um, so this whole idea of like swapping out a character or like, like when Frasier went to his own show, Frasier, like, like you said, they had to create a character nerdier than Frasier to like be the new head. Yeah, right. That, a, that was very much a show where Frazier did not want to go like, I'm going to, you know, I've been the head on Cheers and now I want to go be the head on a new show. He was like, no, I'm going to be three-dimensional in the new show. I'm going to be a character who is, I want to be a three-dimensional character in the new show. I want to be head, heart, and gut. And then you've got to give me a new a new Frazier. You've got to give me yeah. a new head, someone who is more Frazier than Frazier. And so that was very much the Miles character. And then his dad was very much the gut character. And then yeah. Daphne was but, very much the heart character. And And I think, but it was... The thing, and this kind of like plays into what I was saying about Donald Glover a second ago, the thing about Frazier that always worked and made it so that he could carry a show on his own and made it so that his character was tolerable on Cheers is that Kelsey Grammer is not a dweeb. Um, yeah. There's like an odd animal manliness about him, uh, both his like the, the hairiness of his body, the, the, the timbre of his voice, the way he moves. He's not Rick Moranis. You know, yeah. uh, which is like what the, an unimaginative casting person would have made Diane Chambers' boyfriend a Camaranis kind of type. But there's something about Kelsey Grammer that is more than that. And, and there's something about Donald Glover that is almost less than a jock. Like, I can't even imagine Troy really being a successful high school football player. Like, his physique yeah. doesn't suggest it. And even his manner like is like too... He's something else, and it only works because of his performance. It, it 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 doesn't happen on the page at all. Well, it's funny. I guess Troy and I met are a lot like me and Jeff. Jeff Betts was a guest on this show, and when I first met Jeff, he was on the varsity football team, and he just did not fit there, and that was very much not his personality, or again, as you point out, his body type, and. Then he met me and I was very much the Abed of my school. <laughs> and and Jeff was like, I want to be like Abed. I don't want to be like Troy. And he was like, or so Jeff was like this popular jock who then met me and was like, yep, I'm going to be like you. I'm not going to be a popular jock anymore. And that was it. <laughs> there was no turning back for Jeff. <laughs> and uh, he's, been a, he's been a proud geek ever since. This When I actually when I met Jeff, I was like totally like, I don't know if you're cool enough for me because you're like a jock and I'm this cool guy who goes to science fiction conventions. And I don't know if you're cool <laughs> enough to go to science fiction conventions. And I gave him a questionnaire of like, you know, do you know enough about these various science fiction things? Because I was members oh. of a science, I was member of a group that went to science fiction conventions that called ourselves conventioners from hell. And we had a quiz to see if you were geeky enough to get into conventioners from hell. And I said that Jeff had to take the quiz, not so much to become my friend, but I wanted him to, I wanted him to take the quiz. And Jeff was genuinely worried about it. And he was like, oh no. I'm worried I'm not going to do well on this quiz. So oh here God. you had this popular jock character, this popular <laughs> jock in the school who uh, who met the dweebiest dweeb in the school. And I was instantly like, I don't know if you're cool enough for me. And, he, and he's like, and it's like, I no, I, I would say to him, like, I don't know if you're cultured. Like, have you seen, <laughs> have you seen Rocky Art Picture Show? 
you're not cultured if you haven't oh, seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 I mean, you've been sitting. They, they talk about a unique relationship. You've been <laughs> this all this time, and you haven't used this in a movie or screenplay or a book or anything. Like this is hilarious. Community uh, has already done it. The, uh, what's that? Well, no, Community but, but not, has already done it, but not quite in this way because it's the, because Abed is never super silious about it. The way that you're describing, the way you're describing, is like my bodyguard in reverse. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, and uh, don't you dare uh, cut any of this because this is where the podcast shines. But, but Jeff like, actually listens to this podcast, and here we are—he's going to be listening. It's going like uh, he's going to—I think we're going to get some viewer mail from Jeff going like, uh, "Dude, no, it wasn't like that." Okay, so okay, okay. Now, now, okay, other variations. We haven't even discussed the thing that was one of the main things, which is like the idea of the plot itself going through the body. The way we ended up here at Head Heart Cut is that I mentioned last time i was gonna say last week i mentioned last time we did an episode like i just sort of mentioned in passing like oh yeah well of course often the plot goes through often the plot starts in head and then goes down to heart you've got someone who is dreamy who's living in their head and then suddenly they fall in love luke skywalker is sort of dreamy his head's in the clouds then he suddenly sees this beautiful girl he falls in love with her then he quickly gets shoved down to the gut then he is hanging out with han solo he's hanging out with pirates then he ends up down in the snake in the basement. This is why I thought we'd already discussed it because we discussed snakes in basements in a lot of different episodes. And this is also all about Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon shows how his story circle plots onto an actual circle and how you're dipping below the subconscious. Well, like the subconscious is the belt. You know, If you dip below the subconscious, you're going below the belt. You're going down to the groin. And then you get dipped down from the head to the heart down below the belt, you dip down into the groin, you dip down into the snake in the basement, and then you gradually work your way back up and you work your way back up to heart. He says, I care, head, he finally isn't on the whole plan. And then he goes all the way up to spirit and he then has to find his true calling, his higher self, his spiritual self and do it. What well, well, can it start? Otherwise, can it start, start at the gut, go to heart, then like at the bottom part, be in head. And then like, like maybe somebody starts out and they're purely a creature of you know horniness and instinct and then they fall in love with somebody the heart and then they get put into some kind of like head situation some kind of like intractable logic puzzle or whatever i don't know like are there ways to like take that so that like a head heart and gut can be put anywhere on that uh, circle yeah I mean, I think it just generally, I think of thinking of Dan Harmon, I'm thinking of what we've talked about, how you know, the snake in the basement often happens at the exact midpoint. It frequently is a matter of being plunged, you know, as a general rule in stories, Dan Harmon would say you start up, I, yeah, you start off in the conscious, in the conscious realm, and then you get plunged into the subconscious. So it's usually a matter of going down. Um, and, you know, in the last episode, we talked about all these instances of the the girl in Jaws is actually yanked down into a stomach. <laughs> mm-hmm. That happens literally in the opening of Jaws, but it often happens figuratively over the course of stories, is that stories are about being yanked down below the surface into a stomach or into some sort of groin-type situation and then emerging back out of it. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that I, I wanted to bring up this polarization thing is that there's a danger in not doing it. This is kind of like, it's not really like, oh, here's an optional thing you can do. It's kind of a thing that you have to do. Because look at what happens when you don't do it. And I'm thinking about 30 Rock. So, uh, you know, Jack is, you know, gut. You know, uh, Liz is, you know, kind of, she's a little bit 
maybe she's rounded. You know, she's she likes to eat a lot. So oh, she's, she's very got, much a, she, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but she's ahead because she likes to enforce rules. Um, and you know, but but then it, it, of course, a gut would be uh, also um, you know Jenna and, uh, Tracy. and Tracy. But here's the thing: you know who's not polarized at all? Pete, and he's so yeah. boring. And the, the, Scott Adsit is a great improviser. I've seen him improvise many times. He can do anything. But he was given a role Man, he could do nothing with. He couldn't make with. that character work. He couldn't make that character interesting. But there's nothing on the page. There's nothing. And the thing is, there couldn't be anything on the page because there wasn't anything for him conceptually. He was not polarized in any particular direction. And so he was nothing. And so yep. he got more. And I think, I'm pretty sure that she wanted him to be a bigger part of the show at the beginning. But little by little, he got forced out because there's nothing for a non-polarized character to do. Yeah. Um, so th- this is this is a lesson. If you don't polarize, it, 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 I think this is not an optional thing. You got to polarize. Well, I mean, you can certainly do. I mean, The Wire is a show where that is not polarized. You know, The Wire is a show where all the characters are three dimensional, and you still get people who going like, "Oh, well, you know, the problem with that show is the characters are one dimensional. The characters aren't three dimensional on that show," and that's still generally assumed. I don't think most people. I think I'm the only guru who's out there saying don't write three-dimensional characters you could write a great show in which all the characters are three-dimensional and the characters are not polarized that's certainly possible to do i think my point is not that everything must be polarized or the more polarized the better it's that's certainly not my point my point is just that if people tell you that your characters aren't three-dimensional your character one characters one-dimensional that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong that doesn't mean that you can't tell a great story that doesn't mean you can't be great literature that i think there's an assumption that great literature is synonymous with three-dimensional characters. And I'm saying that's very much not the case, that mm-hmm. you can have great literature with one-dimensional characters who represent, who all add up to be a complete three-dimensional person. How in a show like The Simpsons, which is certainly great literature, then the four characters are the divided self of one person, or the divided self of Matt Groening, are the divided self of the people watching the show that we watch that show and our head resonates with Lisa, our gut resonates with Homer, our heart resonates with Marge, our cockiness resonates with Bart. And we feel all the feelings of great literature, even though they are not three-dimensional characters. Or precisely because they are not three-dimensional characters. Yeah, and um, yeah, Because it, in that case, it, it enables us to do it more vividly. Okay, so... I think, I think, James, this is, I think this is a meaty topic. I appreciate you letting me pontificate and talk about some of this stuff. And I think you've brought a lot of fascinating ways of looking at it. We've gone back and forth as to whether or not this is something that is always good, whether it's something that is always necessary. I would definitely think it is not always necessary. I think it's something that can be very good, can be very powerful. We've talked about whether or not how complete, you know, is it better to be completely polarized? Is it better to be partially polarized? I think that there are lots of great examples of full polarization and lots of great examples of partial polarization. I would never want to say to anybody like, oh, sorry, you wrote this wrong. It's not polarized. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I can't I think if it's a comedy, it has to be polarized. No, I would say not. What, Show me a what comedy that's not polarized. What would be a good example of a non-polarized comedy? Hmm. I mean, I think of slings and arrows, but but they're Canadians, so they're not extreme people. But I think of there are there are certainly examples of non-polarized great comedies. 
but I would. I guess I'll you know, take your word on it. Slings and arrows is the only thing that comes to mind. I'm sure if you if you give me some time, I can come up with it. But I think hopefully people will, hopefully people will get a lot out of this. Well, it is to be hoped. Yeah, it is divinely to be wished. Okay, so what's if we've had a we've had a lower conflict episode we've fought less we've agreed more i think that's good we're going to be back soon we're going to record again soon let's hope we're going to be back i think we're going to have a returning guest next time that'll be exciting yeah okay so james thanks for coming thanks for coming out tonight we did it i will talk to you soon see you later Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Story podcast. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on the Secrets of Story podcast in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. Find out about James's novel, The Order of Oddfish, and more at jameskennedy.com. And hey, if you'd like a free audio copy of that book or my book, sign up for a free trial of Audible at our special landing page, www.audibletrial.com slash secretsofstory. We get a few bucks and you get a free book. We're on Twitter at Secrets of Story 1 and at I am James Kennedy. Our music is by Head and Kime. Our logo is by Jessica Friday. See you next time.